turn to Philippians chapter 2. God, we ask today that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, we thank you for uh, what you've been doing already today. And God, I pray that you would give us good ears to hear from you this morning. Lord, speak to us and make us good hearers of your word, uh, not just hearers, but also doers. In Jesus' name, amen. So in your bulletins, the title of the sermon today was Mature Christ-like Relationships. Um, but I decided that I don't really like the word relationship for this sermon today as I was finishing things up um, yesterday. It's, it's kind of a vague word. We have all different kinds of relationships in our life. And I think today that I want to talk more about a specific kind of relationship, and that is friendship. Friendship. So cross out mature Christ-like relationships and write in friendship. When I turned uh, 40 um, three years ago, I, I spent some intentional time um, looking back on my life. I realized that I'm about halfway through, which feels really strange to me. Um, and I was looking backwards on my life, thinking through some of the themes of, of my life and the things that have shaped me. And there were a few different themes that I was able to name over the, the course of a couple of months, thinking through, looking back on my life. And one of those, really at the very top of the list, was friendship. That friendship has been an important theme in my life. As I look back on my life, as I think about um, what has shaped me and made me who I am, uh, there are a list of, of people who have been my friends, who have changed the way that I look at life, or who have, have helped me to grow, or have encouraged me in my walk with Christ, or in some other way in my life. And really thinking about the way that, that friendship in the second half of my life and beyond um, will, be, will be an important theme that God continues to use. And I mentioned um, a few months ago when we started sharing with you about um, me taking a sabbatical next year, um, that the theme of that time, as I, as I think through uh, that time of rest and refreshment, that's going to be one of the main themes that I consider. How has friendship shaped me up to this point, and how can the gift of friendship be a, a part of my, my life going forward? And by the way, with that, you can continue to pray about that. We'll find out in about five weeks whether or not you get the grant that we applied for. Uh, so please be, be praying uh, for that. Uh, but that's been an important theme in my life. And then on top of those things, as I've thought about friendship uh, with other people, uh, there was a very specific event in my life. I was on, on a couple-day retreat a couple years ago. And uh, during that time, I was reading... Um, the book of Romans, in Romans chapter 5, in, in the translation that I was reading, it talked about how the work that God has done through Jesus has made us friends with God. And that was a new idea for me. Of course, I had heard people talk about friendship with God and that sort of thing, but for whatever reason, in that moment, over that weekend retreat, that that invitation from God, from the Word, to learn how to be God's friend... Uh, became very real to me. And it's been this idea and something that I've been trying to live into consciously uh, since, that, since that moment. So friendship is what we're going to talk to about today. It's an important part of, of my life, and I think it's an important part of what the Scriptures say about how we are to relate to one another in the church. Today's passage is Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. 
Paul writes this. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about him. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare, for everyone looks out for his own interests and not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I am confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it is necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and he almost died. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him so that when you see him again, you may be glad and I may have less anxiety. Welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor men like him. Because he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. This is an interesting 12 verses. When we first read it, when I first read it, I wondered, how do you even write a sermon about these 12 verses? Because there's no real instructions. He's not giving any sort of theology or instructions about Christian living. He's not correcting some sort of wrong belief or heresy. He's not pointing out the danger of some sort of particular sin like grumbling that we looked at last week. Instead, this section, he's really talking about itineraries. I'm hoping to come and see you And I'm also hoping that I'll send Timothy and he'll come and see you too. And Epaphroditus, thank you for sending him to me, but I think it's also good for me to send him back to you. He's talking about his travel plans and the travel plans of his team. So on the surface, it's kind of fairly easy to kind of skim through this part and get to the part where Paul gives some more concrete and tangible instructions. But underneath the surface here, I think there's a lot more going on. As he's talking about his travel plans, Paul also talks very personally and intimately about his friends, about what Timothy and Epaphroditus have meant to him, what they have done for him, and how they have helped him in his ministry. He talks to the Philippian church as a whole about how important they are to him. These 12 verses are a little window into Paul's heart. A little window into his friendships. A little window into the affections that Paul has for the people that he's working with. As we read through, the, if we imagine reading in between the lines in these passages, we can kind of imagine Timothy and Epaphroditus sitting around a fire, strategizing about what to do next in the the work of the gospel, or praising God for what he's done last week, or thinking about what's happening right now in their own relationship with God. In these 12 verses, we get some insight into Paul's friendships with Timothy and Epaphroditus and with the Philippian church. There's a poem by an author that I enjoy. Her name is Mary Oliver. She has a poem called Summer Day, and this is how the poem ends. Tell me. What is it you plan to do 
with your one wild and precious life. As we read through these itineraries, these travel plans, as we read through Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus' agendas, the decisions that they were making about their life, about what to do with their limited time here on earth, what they plan to do with their one wild and precious life was to seek the good of their friends, to pursue the interests of others before their own. Earlier in Philippians chapter 2, Paul describes the attitude of Jesus in this way. He says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Turn with me a couple pages over to Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 17. Paul writes this, Not that I have already obtained all this, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of you who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern that we gave you. Today we're going to take note of the pattern of Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus. They set a pattern for us for mature friendships. They are models, examples, patterns for us to walk in mature relationships. The mature Christian life is marked by the habit of seeking the good of others above yourselves. That's what I want you to keep in mind for the rest of our sermon. The mature Christian life is marked by the habit of seeking the good of others above yourselves. Uh, this quote is from Ryan Cochran. <laughs> the mature Christian life is marked by the habit of seeking the good of others above yourselves. In these 12 verses, Paul is crystal clear that Timothy and Epaphroditus have set a pattern of maturity for us. They have made it their habit as they think about their agendas and their itineraries and their travel plans, it is their habit to put the good of others above themselves. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul gives this description of the attitude of Jesus, putting other people above ourselves. And then, in the second half, Paul is saying, you have some friends who you know in the flesh, Timothy and Epaphroditus, who have lived this way, who have also embodied in their own life the attitude of Christ. So follow their example. So let's first look at, at Paul. Paul intentionally invests in others. Part of his 
Putting others above himself is to intentionally invest in others. We, throughout Paul's letters, hear about the way that he invested in lots of different people and uh, that went on this ministry with him, but in particular with Timothy. Paul was Timothy's mentor. He says here that he was like a, a son to him, like he was a father to Timothy. There was intentionality on his part to move into Timothy's life and to invite him into his life and to pass on the gifts and the wisdom and the insights that he had to Timothy. What I also see here in these 12 verses is that Paul appreciates and receives the gifts of his friends. He appreciates and he receives the gifts of his friends. He recognizes how much Timothy's heart is for others, and he says so. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For Epaphroditus, I'm not going to say that word very well today. Epaphroditus, he recognizes how much Epaphroditus has sacrificed in order to bring help to Paul in his ministry, and he says so. He expresses his appreciation later in the, in the letter for the Philippian church for the gift that they brought him to help him in his ministry. He appreciates the gifts of others, and he receives them. And this second part is, may seem a little bit upside down as we think about the importance of doing good for others, but the second part, receiving the gifts of our friends, is one of the ways that we carry out mature friendships. When we think about living for the good of others, we usually think about the gifts that we can bring to others to help them. That's really the first place where our mind goes. But what Paul says here is that he knows that Timothy and Epaphroditus and Philippians have gifts to bring to him, and he receives them with gladness. And that's part of friendship, allowing your friends to help you, for you to appreciate the gifts that they have and to receive them when they offer them. In Paul's example here, we learn that mature friendships are reciprocal. This is Paul, the great apostle. Sometimes, the great apostle, sometimes when I read Paul in his letters, he seems a bit like a Superman, somebody that I can't reach, somebody who's kind of like invulnerable. He can't be touched. But we read in his letters that Paul knew how vulnerable he was and how much he needed his friends. A few times in his letters, he shares about how painful it was for him to be abandoned by one of his friends or rejected by one of his friends or for one of his friends to, uh, to not be on the mission with him. Some of Paul's most vulnerable moments in his letters is when he described how his friends hurt him. Paul needs his friends. He needs their encouragement. He needs their partnership. And so he reminds us that mature Christian friendship is reciprocal. We offer our gifts to one person, and they offer them back to us, and we receive them. We gladly receive what they have to offer. Marianne was talking today about circles. This is the, the model that circles recognizes, is that we have things to offer one another, that change and transformation and growth happen in relationship as we offer our gifts to others and receive the gifts that they have for us. All right, let's look at Timothy. I'm going to read again uh, Philippians 2, 19 through 21. This describes Timothy. He says this, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, 
and not those of Jesus Christ. Paul isn't being unclear here. The same language that he uses to describe Jesus and Jesus' attitude as one who looks out for the interests of others, he then takes that same language and he applies it to Timothy. This is how Timothy acts too. And it's interesting to me that Paul says here that the interests of others is the same as the interests of Jesus Christ. Look at this, <coughs> excuse me, in verses 20 and 21. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. And then for me, it's supposed to say this. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not for the interests of others. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. For everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of others. That's not what he says. He says, for everyone looks out for his own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. That being interested in the life of your friends is sharing in the interest that Jesus has in them. Jesus is interested in your friends. He's interested in the person sitting next to you and the person across the room for you and your neighbor and your coworker. When you look out for, when you are genuinely interested in the benefit of others, you are also joining with Jesus in what he is interested in, which is the life of your friends and their growth and what's happening in their life. So Timothy looks out for the interests of others and he also shares the burdens of his friend. I have no one else like him who takes a genuine interest in your welfare. Paul says that in all of his relationships, there's no one else like him who shares these burdens. When we read Paul's letters, we hear how burdened he is for the life of the church. And in Timothy, he found someone to share that burden with him. A mature Christian friendship is one in which we share one another's burdens. Let's look at Epaphroditus. Epaphroditus, verse 26, 25 and 26. Let's hear what Epaphroditus has to teach us about friendship. Paul says this, I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard that he was ill. Epaphroditus was distressed because he heard that the Philippians heard that he was ill. Isn't that funny? I don't want them to be worried about me. I'm concerned that they're going to be anxious about me because I'm sick. He was distressed not because he was sick. He was distressed because he heard that the Philippians heard that he was sick. This happened just yesterday to me. We have a brother in Christ who's not feeling well. He's not doing well, and he has a potential major health problem. And he sent me a text, and for good reason, he said, please don't tell a lot of people about this. I don't want them to worry. We have an Epaphroditus among us. I can't tell you yet. He asked me not to tell you, but eventually we will. But pray for him right now. Epaphroditus also was willing to lay down his life for his friends. Verse 30, he almost died for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for the help you could not give me. This doesn't come out in our English translations, but Paul draws a direct parallel between 
Jesus and Epaphroditus here. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul says in this hymn, remember there was this Christ hymn, this song that Christians would sing about the character and nature of Christ in Philippians 2, verses 6 through 11. And there's one part that says, and Jesus became obedient unto death, became obedient to death. The Greek phrase is mekri thanatu. This is the same phrase that Paul uses here about Epaphroditus in verse 30, that he almost died. He mekri thanatu. He was unto death. Again, Paul is not being subtle. This is a song that they would have sung. It would have been a lyric to the song. Mekrithanatu would have been a lyric in a song that they sung about Jesus. And now Paul is giving that lyric, that phrase, and applying it to the life of Epaphroditus, the way that he's acting towards his friends. In John 15, Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. This is exactly what Epaphroditus was willing to do for the sake of Paul and for the Philippian church. So the last thing I want to talk about today is, is maturity and, and friendship and how our friendships help us to grow in maturity. We do not grow mature until there is someone in our life. You will not be mature until there is someone in your life that is more important to you than you. You will not be mature until there's someone in your life that is more important to you than you. So I've been wondering this week, I'm just thinking this out a little bit. I'm going to throw this out to you. You can see where it lands and give me some feedback. I wonder if maturity, if we're going to try to measure maturity in our life, whether we are growing in maturity, I wonder if it could be measured by how many people there are in our lives who we truly consider more important than us. There's a lot of people we might say are more important to us, a lot of people that we wish in our hearts were more important to me than me, but I think for most of us the list is pretty small. It is for me. So I wonder if maturity is measured by how many people there are in our lives who we truly consider as more important than us. And I'm not talking here about lowering ourselves, making ourselves think that we're such bad people that everyone else is so much better than us. That's not what I'm talking about. There's actually a strange kind of self-centeredness in that kind of attitude. I'm talking about growing up maturely. So big and so mature that there are more and more people who are able to grow because of your self-giving attitude toward them. Growing up like a mature tree, where there are many other people who are able to enjoy the shade of your branches, because you've grown into a person for whom so many people are more important to you than you. Let's think about this in reverse. Think about babies. There's nothing more immature than a baby. By definition, they are immature. And they think only about themselves. They think about being hungry and cold and in need of love and attention. And that's all that they live for. That's what they do because they are immature. They are little. And if a baby is the, the physical expression of human maturity, then immaturity is only thinking about yourself like a baby does. 
But as we grow up and mature, as we go to, kinderg- go to kindergarten, we learn that there are other people in the world too. I know. It's tough, isn't it? Other people that we need to look out for, other people that we need to share our toys with, other people that we need to befriend. We begin to learn these things as we grow older, as we grow more mature, and as people begin to become more important to me than me. Now, really interestingly, it's a baby's job to be hungry and sleepy and poopy and needy so that their parents have to take care of them because it's the role of babies in our life to make us mature, to make us realize that there is someone else who needs our care. You probably know someone who you've seen in your life, someone who was really immature, living only for themselves, and then they had a kid, and you saw them six months later, and you're like, this is a different person now, person who has grown up. So I've just been wondering this week as I've been reading this passage in light of maturity, Can we measure our growth and maturity by considering how many people in our lives are truly more important to me than me? I want to suggest to you that this is one of the gifts of friendship, is to learn in all of the ways that I've described today, in Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, in all of the ways that we get to learn through friendships to put the good of others in front of our own to learn how another person can be more important to me than me. There are many good blessings that God gives to us through friendship, but this is at the top of the list, that our friendships become a place, become a relationship where we learn to grow in maturity by putting the priorities and the good of others in front of our own. I've defined maturity over this time in Philippians as coming to know Christ and to become like Christ. And isn't this how Jesus demonstrated maturity? Jesus' maturity was reflected in the fact that he truly became a servant to everyone. Branches enough and wide enough and big enough for all of us to come underneath and enjoy his shade and protection. He washed his disciples' feet. He died for us while we were still sinners, while we were his enemies. Philippians 2 reminded us that Jesus revealed the glory of God, reveals to us what God is like when he emptied himself and became a servant to others, lived his life for the benefit of others. So I want to take just a moment to be quiet and to reflect on what you've heard today. Um, Maybe it's something in Paul or Timothy and Epaphroditus's Example that you need to consider for your own life. Maybe you need to pray uh, for a friend of yours. Uh, maybe you're really struggling with friendships right now and you need, just need to ask, Lord, would you bring some friends in my life who can help me to live out this life of maturity? Just take a minute to be quiet and to ask the Lord what he would have you to do today in response to what you've heard. God, we thank you for the pattern that Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus have set for us. Thank you for their example. And we thank you that they followed your example and your pattern. And so, God, I pray that in our own lives that we would be able to 
to follow their, their way, the pattern that they set for us, their model for us, as we interact with one another here in our church and in our home, in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces. God, I pray that we, it would be a distinct mark of our lives, that we would live in the habit of considering the good of others above ourselves. Amen.